I this is I think my first time to ever record a digital side hug podcast in a garage. Yeah, I'm so thrilled. I'm here with Adam McLean. Howdy, Adam. Um, we've performed a sound check, so we're ready to go. Yeah. Tell us who you are and why. What makes you so awesome, Adam? Why do I want you on a podcast? Well, that second, I have no idea on the second one other than I said yes. Um, but I'm Adam McLean, and I'm a partner at the Youth Cartel, a lifelong youth worker. I've been. And we have a vacuum cleaner. Yeah, and, <laughs> and you have a vacuum cleaner. And joining us today is also my four-year-old son, Jackson, who's that very was... excited. Jackson, yeah, I'm about to ask your dad to introduce us to his family, who some of which is not here. Jackson right. is showing us a dance. That's nice. Yeah. Jackson, can you tell us your name real loud? Say it real loud. Jackson. Jackson McLean. And you have a brother, right, Jackson? What's your brother's name? Paul. Okay, Paul. And what about your mom? What's your mommy's name? Kristen. 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 What's your sister's name? Megan. That's everybody. That's the whole family. Well, we're excited to be here. You live in San Diego, That's which right. is where I am yep. for a mission trip this week. My youth group is coming out for uh, doing a, a, a mission trip with an organization here at New Vision Christian Fellowship, and we're doing inner city work, and some of our teens are going down into Mexico, uh, and we're really excited about it. it it's, a, it's a bit of a change for us, but uh, one of my opportunities this week is to get to spend a little time with you, Adam. That's right. Um, and I love the youth cartel. And I t I've, I've mentioned this pod on the podcast before. You guys do a conference that I've been to a few times, and the last time it was in Nashville. Tell us about that conference, and then what else it is that you do at the Youth Cartel. Sure. Uh, the Summit, which is the event that you attended, um, is in Nashville again this year at Belmont uh, UMC Church in beautiful Belmont. Coming yeah. up in November, November 2016. 6th and 7th, that's right. And what it is, it's essentially TED Talks for Youth Ministry. Um, we're big fans of TED Talks, and so we kind of started it off with that, where there were three sessions with five or six speakers doing... 15-minute segments, um, and then this year we're morphing it a little bit where it's going to be a little bit more like This American Life or Serial or one of those types of things where there'll still be a number of speakers, but it'll be based on uh, a host for each of those uh, sessions, and they're creating the session, kind of co-producing their session with us. So it'll be there'll be talks, of course, but there'll also be other elements too as they explore and deep dive into one what we're calling elephant in youth ministry. So something that we need to talk about, but we don't normally talk about. This year we'll be dealing with elephants in youth ministry, yeah. elephants in the room of yeah. youth ministry. So things things like gender and sexuality is uh -huh. one of the elephants. Things like being young and making mistakes in leadership is another one. Um, and I can't remember the third one. <laughs> I'm excited about the new format. I, yeah. One of the things that I've loved about the, the summit in the two years that I've gone is that you are, one of your goals is just to kind of insert new ideas and big ideas into the creative process of youth ministry leadership. That's right. You know, we as an organization feel as though uh, youth ministry for the most pa most part, has stopped innovating. We've kind of gotten locked into a format of how we minister to teenagers and adolescents uh, on a larger scale. But uh, yeah, so we are this who we are as an organization is we're trying to spark new ideas and see innovation happen. Um, that's beyond just youth group and into other areas outside the church or inside the church. Any way that helps it, we just believe a teenager's life is better knowing Jesus and than not. So. 
Um, and I'm going to come back just a second yeah. to talk about what I heard you say last November at the summit. Um, that's that you know sort of sparked my interest in having you on the podcast. But first, tell us what else Youth Cartel does. Sure. Well, the reason you're in my garage uh, is we are a typical American startup. We are an American story. Uh, we have a publishing company, so we uh, publish about 10 new resources every year, both digital stuff and print books and things like that. So that's where we're at right now is where we ship that stuff. Uh, we also do consulting with... Uh, a wide variety of organizations that work with youth workers, people like World Vision and Praying Pelican Missions and so on and so forth, um, just helping them better connect with youth workers. And uh, then we also do our, our premier flagship thing is called the Youth Ministry Coaching Program. And uh, that is a year-long intensive cohort of about 10 youth workers who meet together uh, every other month for two or three days with one of our coaches, either Marco Stryker or uh, April Diaz. Uh, and then new one is starting this uh, this fall with Jake Kircher. He's doing one on uh, post doing youth ministry in a post Christian cult context. So that those are that's kind of the, the the big buckets of what we do. So to find you is it just youthcartel.com? Yep, or theyouthcartel.com, or you, they both go to the same place. Okay, yeah. and. I noticed after the summit, I was watching on Twitter and noticed you guys were in Seattle for something. Was that this coaching deal? No, we do uh, another set of events called Open. And Open is uh, a series of events where we've flipped the typical youth ministry training event upside down. So instead of bringing renowned people, people who have books and have been published and speak to youth workers all around the country, we actually take and discover uh, local youth workers that are working in local contexts. Um, maybe they're innovating, maybe they've just found something that works in their region, and we're putting them on the platform. And then we and other people like me come and gather and learn and record and share ideas that way. Um, and we do that for the sole purpose of hopefully somebody else goes, oh, well, that's interesting. I could take yeah. that idea plus an idea I came with. Those two ideas kind of uh, develop a new idea uh, to advance youth ministry forward. Partnership, collaboration, that's all at the heart of what you guys yeah. are doing. That's what's so cool yeah. to me about about it. And it's been a blessing to me, as I mentioned, uh, last November, I sat in a breakout session with you where I was challenged for the very first time in a way that I did not expect. And again, it was one of those things where it was it was a new thought that that I just had not had. I was in maybe a rut is the wrong way to say it, you know. Except that, you know, if you if you don't if some, it's just hard to imagine something that you've never thought of before. Right. And you came in and said there are people doing youth ministry in your church that don't get paid by your church. Have you found them? And how are you encouraging? And yeah. how are you using them? And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. So. Um, what I want to do first is what I call a lightning round, get yep. to know me. Is that sure. okay? So I'm going to start the music. It's going okay. and it's chain reaction. Here we go. So uh, we are in sunny San Diego. That's right. How many days a year do you wake up and think the weather stinks? I hate this weather. <laughs> we get about uh, 20 days of rain a year. Uh, and the hilarious thing in San Diego is that people will get excited about it. They get up and they dress cozy. They go to Starbucks or they go to the local Vietnamese place and eat pho. <laughs> it's like, it's winter time. Hey, airplane too. Yep. Grandma and Grandpa! Yes. When you go, you could take an, an airplane from San Diego to go see Grandma and Grandpa. That's, what that's right. That's one of the things you can do. Uh, so, your favorite taco stand in town. Well, we went the other day. Uh, Quattro Milpas is Quattro Milpas. It yeah. was amazing. Yeah, it's a local mom and pop that's been there for 
generations, it feels like. I think it's about 40 years. And, and we we actually watched them cooking the giant pots of beans and things like that. Yeah, we, we literally sat in the kitchen. That was pretty awesome. We did. It was amazing. Um, okay, so the farthest distance in one day you've ever traveled because of youth ministry? Oh, that's a great question. I traveled one day from Seattle to Harare, Zimbabwe. Technically one day. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> with World Vision and a bunch of youth pastors. And we went and visited uh, the work that they're doing there. Uh, it was the longest day of my life. Um, yeah, but that was that was one non-sleeping day. Um, other than that, there's a bunch of times where, you know, you get up. I remember we drove from Detroit, Michigan to rural West Virginia to go uh, to the New River Gorge whitewater rafting. And that was like a 14-hour day in the church van. Um, With a group of teenagers? Oh, of course. There were three, awesome. three vans completely packed <laughs> in a caravan. You know, the, the driver's trying not to stop every 15 minutes to pee. That's uh, and great. then the girl's having to pee every 15 Okay, minutes. how many years did you do paid congregational youth work? A decade. A decade? Yeah. Um, give us one, and again, we're just get to know me. Yeah. Um, one huge, like the worst mistake you ever made that, that, you, that, that you could say on, you know, essentially podcast radio. And then... One just cool memory that you've got that makes you wonder why you ever left congregational youth work. I mean, I think the biggest mistake that uh, that we made was uh, moving too fast. We felt kind of fell in love with the North Point thing at one point, yeah. maybe in the mid two thousands, and like literally, we decided. I think the mantra on our church staff was let's. Let's make changes so fast. Like if the bone is broken, let's make all the changes before it sets. Yeah, and yeah. as a result, we lost um, sixty or seventy percent of the people in the congregation. <laughs> but we did make all the changes we wanted, just with Ooh. no people. Um, yeah. so that was a pretty pretty big mistake. Um, <laughs> so no, you were leading. Nobody followed. Right. We, we led too fast. Yes, right. but we were there. Um, I, I think the coolest memories happen over over five or six years when you see life transformation that's not just the camp high or the retreat high or oh hey i went on a mission trip and i love jesus but when you start when you have those text or facebook message conversations with a 23 year old or you go to a former student's wedding yeah. and you just see like the life transformation that's awesome that's the stuff that that to me that's what it's all about i'm all about the longitudinal look yeah um, i tend not to get I'm kind of crabby and old in doing youth ministry. I've been doing it since I was 18. Uh, so the, the one moment high doesn't do me any good anymore. But I do love seeing that. You know, you see that 25-year-old in church, you know, with their family. And you're just yeah. like, yep, that, that was worth it. That's cool. That's really great. Okay. Morris Gregwire asks, Adam, do you consider yourself a connoisseur of anything? I, I jokingly say I'm a connoisseur of ideas. Um and people pitch things to me all the time, and I, um, I'm, I am inborn judgmental, so I can quickly go, that's BS or that's fantastic. Um, but I, nothing gets me more excited than hearing someone's new idea. So that's that's what I consider myself a connoisseur of. Cool, I like that. And there is a button in front of you, Adam. If you push it, you gain the ability to breathe underwater, but lose the ability to look up or down. Okay. Okay. So you cannot look up or down. Yeah, but I can breathe. Water. But you can breathe underwater. Uh huh. If you don't press the button, you gain the ability to magically transport yourself from one place to another, but you lose the ability to understand, speak, write, etc. In the English language. <laughs> 
Okay. Do you push the button or not? I don't think I press that button. I mean, almost nobody in the world speaks English, so. <laughs> so you're transporting yourself around the world. What? So what's the next language you learn? I mean, I guess, are you in San Diego? Are you fluent in Spanish? Uh, I speak Spanglish with, uh, with vigor. Okay. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> Poorly. Yeah. All right, so you don't press the button. You transport yourself magically. And from and the rest of this podcast is, yeah. is you know, in sign language. Oh, good. Yeah, that's fine. All right, good. Um, well, Adam, we love you. We're, we're excited to have you on the podcast. Um, I love what the youth cartel is doing, and I want to talk real quick about what you said last year. Yeah. And then we can go wherever you want to go. No, okay. you, you may you may have some new ideas, and this sure. this may be last last year's. Um, but I sat and I heard you essentially challenge me. I think the words were, "If you're not doing this, you're a moron," <laughs> or something to that. Effect. I, I have that gift. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I and the the what you were talking about was recognizing people in all the people in your congregation that do you youth work and how to bless them tell tell the audience kind of what your big idea is with regard to yeah. all those youth pastors yeah i mean it starts with um kind of paraphrase something that uh, andy stanley has said many times is that sometimes you're so busy working in the church that you don't take the time to work on the church and so for me the transformation of having been 10 years on congregational staff to now sitting in the pews gives me that that space yeah. to think outside that box it's not i don't have any judgment negatively on an everyday youth worker who is locked into thinking that youth group is the way to reach a theologically appropriate amount of teenagers in their community i don't fault them for that i know they're good people i know way too many people like yourself that um yeah that just that's they pour the heart into right. it what I am saying is that the math doesn't work. So there's 44 million American teenagers in the United States right now. It's 13 to 19 year olds. There's about 100,000 paid people who do youth ministry as part of their job. So that would mean that you would have to, you individually and every person on your staff would have to reach 440 people in order to reach 100% of that community. So that's a theological challenge because I don't, I don't, I don't sit there and pretend that every person's uh, will choose Jesus, but I do believe to the base of the heart of who I am that everyone's life is better with Jesus than without. Right, so it's the church's right. responsibility to offer the opportunity to 100% of those teenagers. If you're, but the converse is we can look at 40 years of data and say we know in without a shadow of a doubt that between 5 and 10% of any given teenage population is interested in youth group. Right? right, so it's just demographically true. Nine out of ten teenagers, they know about youth group. You walk around any high school, they know kids who go to youth group. So it's not like they just have never heard of it. Right, <laughs> they're just not going. They're just not going to get to church to school. They drive by multiple churches. They are aware of the church, yeah. whether you live in Nashville or you live in San Diego. Yeah. Where, so they're aware of it. It's not a marketing problem, which is one of the things that frustrates me so much is you go to big conferences and you hear Seth Godin. You're like, why the heck do we have a marketing guy here that people know what the church is? Right. We don't need to rebrand the church. Jesus doesn't need marketing. What we need is a different strategy. And so that's where it kind of say, starts saying, who engages with a teenager on a day-to-day -day basis already in your community who has a heart and love for Jesus? And when you take an individual child or a teenager, don't be not trying to be derogatory. Right, sixteen sure, year old. Sure. And you say Young who, adult even, yeah. Yeah. Who are the adults in David's life? Who are those people that already know Jesus? You go, okay, well maybe it's his uh, music teacher, maybe it's his bus driver, maybe it's his uh, 
fourth period algebra teacher, so on and so forth. What is our responsibility as equippers of the gospel? That's our job, right, as pastors, right. to empower those people who already have context, con, you know, context to have a relationship yeah. with 100% of teenagers in our community. What are we doing to empower and lift them up and train them so they can do minister to the teenagers they naturally have contact with? Some of them have legal responsibilities to have contact with teenagers. Right. You know, I know too many people who work for their social workers. They're in their care are 50 teenagers who are who most of whom don't know Jesus, how can we equip those people to minister to, to the gospel instead of just saying, hey, come to church with me, which has kind of been the default answer that we know doesn't work. And, and youth ministers like me have gotten pretty good over the years um, at remembering to tell parents when we have opportunities, although it's our, you know, parents of our teens, hey, you're the real youth minister in your, in your, your son or daughter's life. We do that, most of us or many of us, with great regularity. But what I realized listening to you was that there, there's a man in my congregation whose name is Bill, who was at the time a middle school principal in our community. Yep. Um, I sometimes would have him teach in youth group and things like that. He yep. and his wife would be teachers for our high school group or what have you. Uh, he was a middle school principal, was just promoted this spring to, to a principal of a high school in in the county where I live, Williamson County, I've never once thought of inviting him into my office or taking him to lunch to say, you are a youth minister. Mm-hmm. You in know, your context. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're in love with Jesus and you're connected to all these students and you're going to my church and you're not paid to do youth ministry the way I am but you're able to do youth ministry in a way that I can't. So I, I literally, while you were teaching, I, I thought, and I, you know, at the time, 19 years of youth right. ministry talking, sat down, I just wrote in my, my sheet of paper, or maybe it was on my iPad, go home and schedule an opportunity to invite those people yep. into our building to say, we love you, we thank you, how can we encourage you, what can we do to empower you? Yep. And equip you, uh, and just to communicate, if nothing else, right. uh, it was a it was just it was a seminal moment for me in terms of what you're talking about the numbers yeah. uh, and all the people that that uh, we could you know that are being mobilized with without me already right. you know doing ministry from their hearts. So that was something that I really needed to hear. Um, have you? Is there? A story or two you could give us, or an idea or two of how a youth minister could, you know, do a better job of partnering with those people in their lives or churches. Well, I think some of it. I think what you're doing is a good example of starting that off. I know in our context, uh, in our in our local church where I'm not on staff, um, even a couple little things that we do as a congregation, I think, make a huge impact. Not just on uh, in that exactly what they're doing. But also it fans out. So, for example, our, our staff um, has identified two or three local elementary and middle schools that they just love on. So they, as a staff, they'll cancel staff meeting. And uh, every, we have a large staff. And they'll all go and do a work project at the school where they're painting classrooms or they're just cleaning up or something like that. Or they're bringing, uh, they're doing teacher appreciation day or something like, something like that. Little things like that start to significantly communicate. We care. We notice. Mm-hmm. We see that yeah. you. And then what's cool is is we all, people in the congregation, know people who work at those schools who aren't connected to Jesus in any other way. So we'll get texts from them like, I don't know anything about your church, but your church rocks. They brought 600 backpacks for kids who needed them in our community or so on and so forth. Little things like that 
some somewhat seem symbolic, like having teachers stand up and be recognized and prayed over, like and commissioned as ministers of the gospel in their job. Yeah. At the beginning of the school year, communicates not just to those teachers that they're appreciated and loved, but other like a, a, a nurse will say, "I work in a pediatrician's office. I see eleven-year-old boy. Oh, this is what we did yesterday. We took our eleven-year-old in for his seventh-grade checkup." Yeah. That woman ministered to my seventh, my seventh, right. uh, incoming seventh grader, just in the way that she cared and loved on him. Is she commissioned to be sent out from her local church as an emissary of the gospel of Jesus to say, you know, even if you're not able to say because right. of legal requirements, you are knowing I am doing, I'm the hands and feet yeah. of Jesus as I administer a shot to an 11 year old. Right. All of those things, I think it goes back to, for me, purely the Reformation. One of the, to me, one of the most powerful things the Reformation brought was the priesthood to all believers. Mm-hmm. We as a, as a culture, of Protestants, we love that idea, the priesthood of all believers, but we believe in the priesthood of the staff. Mm. We wait for the staff to act. And that's wrong. We as a congregation need to stand up and say, no, 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 you guys are great. You are supporters. You guys are are, uh, are equippers and you guys are here for us to minister to our needs, but we're the priests in this community. And that's what, that's the flip that you'll see when, you know, when you'll see the more congregation involvement in the community, the ownership of the gospel. So how do you guys, you, you y'all, yep. you know, youth cartel balance your love for appreciation for and understanding of the task of youth ministry and the you know the craft of youth ministry, the people doing, and how do you how do you balance that love for appreciation for them, but but then that prophetic voice to to call them to something else? I mean, are are does your you know is, is it is it working? Or do you get pushback? I mean, what what? How is it working? How's all, it going? All the above, um, and I think that that's the messiness of ministry, right? I think the the core thing that that we as a staff do is we stay involved. So like, I'm not on staff at our right. church, but and neither is Marco. But we are involved, and we are a pain in the neck to our local <laughs> church, right? So I mean, the vast majority that so we have a hundred high school students who show up on a Wednesday night for small groups. They know me as the guy who flips burgers yeah. and the guy who's like having fun serving pizza and leads a small group. They don't know me as some person who's out producing youth ministry stuff. They know when I travel, yeah. but they don't know or care about any of the right. other stuff. Right. I think that groundedness that we both have as a result of that allows us to um, to push people, right, and to have that. Mm-hmm. But we because it's coming from a true place. We're allowed to do that. If we were just people who sat, if we worked at a seminary and we had no engagement with teenagers on a week-to-week basis, I think people would look at us as a fraud. But you're 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 in a ch- you're in a church because we're in you're it. Volunteering, you're, you're willing to listen to me mm-hmm. uh, because I'm not talking just out of my butt. Mm-hmm. I, I, this isn't something I, I said. Literally, I'm not like in the shower. Going, that is true, by the way. I'm 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 watching. I'm here. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, it's literally you know I'm not sitting in the shower going. You know, it'd be really popular for me to write. Yeah. This. Honestly, a lot of stuff that we write and do isn't popular. And I think the reason is because it, people just want numbers. Like they just want, their congregation yeah. just wants, they, they run like a business and they do marketing. And so they're, they're just mm-hmm. after a full house. Um, and so that's a different value than we're after people who are truly growing and interested in a relationship with Jesus. So there's that dichotomy there, I think, that um, we're able to call BS on. Mm-hmm what's what's new for you like what's what's the next big thought in your mind or what is the next the, the idea that just grabbed you i mean tell us what you're thinking about now or or what we need to hear well i mean i'm thinking a lot about um you know i do i have this whole other side that we haven't talked about about uh helping 
families and um, individuals with social media stuff. I mean, I think that there, because of there's, there has been a shift in our culture in regards to we're all living this third life of being online, where it's not, it's completely normative that you and I mostly know each other from Twitter. Yeah. Nobody thinks that that's a weird relationship anymore. Right. Fifteen years ago, when I would do a meetup from an online forum. There were people who would, you know, like they would joke about, like, I'm bringing a gun just in case that guy's going to kill me. Like, there were, right. so we have as a culture have completely changed. I don't think anything weird about we connect via text yeah. or whatever, and now we're going to have a lunch. Um, two, two weeks ago, when I when I sent a Twitter to you yeah. saying, Where should I eat for lunch? Right. It wasn't weird at all. It wasn't weird at all. And that's, we've not addressed that. Um, so I think one of the things I'm really interested in is we as a, as a Christian culture have a withdrawal from my, my mindset. So when we go, I want to connect better with my own personal life with Jesus. What I need to do is retreat. I need to go to the yeah. desert. I need to turn my phone off. I want, I'm want. i really interested in the Ignatius Examine, where you find your connection with God by engaging with normal people. So instead of withdrawing from social media for a period of time to retreat and reconnect with Jesus, is it possible for me to better connect with Jesus as I connect with ordinary people? That makes sense? Uh, yes, I think it does. My personality type has always sort of been allergic to quiet time. Yeah, right. <laughs> so people that know me well, when when quiet time, when it's time for you yeah. know the He's quiet, strong. the spiritual discipline of quiet time, they know David's about to get allergic to this. Yeah. And so I think I know what you're talking yeah. about because for me, that that's you know that's energizing. It's energizing yeah. for me to interact and see God in others. It, is that what you're talking yeah. about? Yeah, so in January of 2013, I had this weird explosion on my blog where more than a million people visited my blog in one day. Tell us your blog. <laughs> it's adammclean.com. I wrote a thing on Snapchat when Snapchat was still new, and it went crazy. Um, <laughs> and, and so you you just had some thoughts on Snapchat and wrote a blog. I wrote a blog post on why people should, should delete it. Um, uh-huh. I mean, I, I make an argument that these guys definitely created this for the sole purpose of exploiting women uh-huh. uh, for sexting, and they're douchebags <laughs> as people. Right. And so I provided the documentation for those and let people um, see it for themselves. Yeah, yeah. Enough people agreed with me that they shared it on Facebook um, about 400,000 times. So and a million people saw A million the blog. people came. Anyways, that wasn't the point. The point is that that engagement where people were calling me names and people were on Twitter, like um, just responding to me, saying I didn't know what I was talking about. I found that as I was helping people understand what I was talking about, I was better connected to Jesus in that moment than I were if I had. The, the, the flip side is that it's two days before that happened. And actually, the day that the traffic started, my wife and I were re- retreating in the desert together uh-huh. where we were away from the Internet and so on yeah. and so forth. So I had that dichotomy of where did I connect better with Jesus? And I connected better with Jesus helping regular, ordinary people discover good news in their life. Not just about Jesus, just good news of you're being exploited. So of those 1 million visitors, the vast majority of those were females under between 18 and 25. Yeah. When you look at the demographics on Google Analytics and things like that, we were helping teenage girls realize they were being sexually exploited by the men in their lives. That's good news to them. Right. That isn't the gospel good news, but that's good news is good news, and that right. comes from God. Right. And so in engaging in that, I learned something like, wow, I as I engage in practical needs, and helping people, I can engage with, with God. God. Nobody's talking about that. 
Like, the, but that is as I exp- stood st- 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 away and started saying, "What? Is, well, that's the Ignatius examine from mm-hmm. you know six hundred years ago or whatever long yeah. ago that was." So I'm that's what I'm thinking about right now is how do I help people see that engaging in culture and engaging in things like social media can actually be a spiritual discipline as opposed to in order to connect with Jesus, I have to withdraw. Are you are you saying that? Everybody should be on social media, and everybody. I mean, or, no. or okay, so no. I mean, again, this is uh, you asked for a thought. A sure, on, I mean, yeah, yeah, so, yeah, absolutely. That's clearly where it's at at this stage. But I think that that is a form of that. I think one thing that every every single person has a moral responsibility to do is to know their neighbors and know their mm-hmm. community. You will not connect as a church with your community until you, as the leader. Say I'm gonna just gonna know my neighbors, and I'm gonna get messy in their lives, and that means I do less work at church because I'm helping the next door neighbor who's 90 years old and needs help mm-hmm. getting to the doctor. That is your responsibility. Jesus called you yeah. to love your neighbors as yourself, not just go to church. Right? Jesus never told us to work at the church. <laughs> We've assumed that that's right, true, right, but it's right. not. No. But our every single Christian's responsibility is to love your neighbors as yourself. We redefine neighbor to get away from that neighborly thing. But if you want to experience good news in your life, I think yeah. that's part of the Ignatius examine that can be applied to every single Christian to walk in this planet right now. Is we need to know yeah. our neighbors. Yeah. And culturally, in the United States, we live in a closed garage door. We have big backyards, no front yards. Sidewalks are gone. Sidewalks are gone. Nobody <laughs> hangs out. Like we had a incident in our community. The only time we've ever unless it's out, raining in San Diego, right? The only time we in this neighborhood that we're in right now, the only time we've ever all talked together was because our neighborhood was on lockdown. Somebody there was yeah. a criminal thing happened in our community. They locked down our community. Everyone came out in the front yard and we all started talking. That's wow. the same thing. Like when we lived in Detroit wow. and you'd have a giant snowstorm and everybody's yeah. out shoveling. That was the only time yeah. you ever talked to anybody. So we as as Christians need to engage those people in our community, and and so that's na- that's the bigger meta narrative. Now the the come out your front door, meet with your neighbors on a daily basis is is online. You're you're, you're yeah. suggesting that's that's part of where we live. That's part of where, that's where yeah. our neighbors are in yeah. many cases. Yeah, for some people, that's, and so that's where we love. Yeah, I mean, you can look at it if you want to look at it from a sociological perspective. There are people who are introverts that connect better online. They're extroverted online. Mm-hmm. I have a general principle that we teach in social media that introverts are extroverted online and extroverts are that's introverted a, online. That's amazing. I, I, <laughs> so, I think that's true in yeah. my life. Yeah. So like people who are introverted wow. naturally, they're more extroverted online because they feel comfortable there because they can think and pause before they respond. But an extrovert looks at online stuff and goes, why don't we just meet at Starbucks? Right? That's so there are people, think about that from the Jesus context. Uh-huh. The only way you're going to get to know your neighbors is online. The flip side is an extrovert has no problem. Hey, you're new. Here's a pie. Yeah. <laughs> new, right. we, we live in a community of transients for people. We don't know everybody. We try to. We want to know yeah. their names. But you know what? We're scared of people. Right. So, we're, you know, we're introverted. <laughs> Man, I, I, that is an interesting thought. I'm, I'm looking forward <laughs> to processing that more. Um, okay. So you're you're doing youth cartel stuff. You're you're trying to make a difference in the lives of youth workers. Yep. What's the future like for you in terms of a company? Where where, where do you want to be? What do you want to do? I know you used to be with you uh, uh, specialties yep. and and you specialties. You know that experience or that that you know what was happening there was very different. You know when I went to sure. the NYWC. Um, versus the summit, totally different kind yeah. of even from the size. Yeah. So, 
is is that the hope with youth cartel to someday have ten thousand people at a conference or, or we have the exact opposite hope so um instead of 400 at a conference sort of 400 we want 500. <laughs> got it, so got it, got it, got it. you know we, there's we have no problem with the big conferences that you sure sure I don't mean just that as a polite thing to say. I mean, we want those to thrive because if those thrive meeting the me- the needs of the main yeah. people, the 70%, then we can properly service the fringes. Okay. We are an organization that will, we target the fringes of youth ministry, the people who have been in youth ministry a long time that realize that the traditional mainline stuff doesn't work for them and they're looking for new ideas uh-huh. or they're so new that they don't even know any of that context whatsoever. Yeah. The, the middle 70% of the market in the youth, if you talk about it from a, business perspective we have we're yielding that yeah. open-handedly saying yeah. we're not developing products for that middle 70 okay. percent. we want open we want the summit we want the conferences that we do we want the coaching program to be for that 30 percent of people who are just thinking differently that's who we are uh, as an organization we don't ever have a desire to have a staff of 35 people in a big building uh, that's not who we are it's mm-hmm. not who you know marco and i we are not we both i work at my house marco works at his house if we had 10 people, that would be great. If we had a small office and it's just a, a thriving team of seven, eight, nine, ten 10 people, that would be our sweet spot where we would be, be fit. that's what we're after. That's yeah. our goal. Um, yeah. I mean, other than that, I would, I like to say that our value or our goal as an organization is to provide a good living for our employees. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can say, we can give you altruistic things like, yeah, we want to, <laughs> we want to service people and we want to yeah. develop great products. But at the end of the day, what really matters to us is we want to live a good life. We want our families to be well taken care of. You know, we want to work hard and we want to be rewarded well. Yeah. Um, that's really the values of who we are as an organization. Um, and we think that as we partner and collaborate with other people, that, that that's what's happening and that yeah. will continue to happen. So where's the preferred staff meeting right now? <laughs> when y'all, staff meeting, is it at the beach? I mean, is this at like no, Coronado, the Dell? We, we do off-sites sometimes, but almost all of our meetings happen in Marco's backyard. Okay. <laughs> Marco's a homebody who likes, he travels well over 200 days a year. So, you know, when he's home, he wants to be home. Uh, this has been fun. Uh, this has really been fun. So if somebody wants to contact you guys, it's theyouthcartel.com. Yep. And again, uh, the, the types of, if there's a youth minister out there um, thinking what I'm doing and working, that's uh-huh. a youth minister that should get in touch with you Absolutely. guys. Or a youth minister that's thinking, I've got this great idea that nobody knows about. That's somebody that Absolutely. should contact that you. 100%. Uh, <laughs> somebody brand new, somebody about to burn out contact you guys and, yep. and or somebody who's oh, there's a lot of people who come into <coughs> youth ministry not through the traditional context so they're coming from a business world or a teaching mm-hmm. world or whatever those are people that already know that the traditional way isn't for them yeah that's who like why help why do you need help our help fixing bad habits if we can help you create good habits to begin with so yeah so that that's kind of kind of a good a good starting point that's great that's great before we let you go yeah um you talked a little bit about the just the big picture social media stuff. Yeah. Um, I know that you have been into hundreds of schools. Uh, probably about seventy-five. Seventy-five yeah. schools, public schools, public to private, talk about this, parochial, all kinds of schools. Is there? Can you do? Do you have a, a, a like a three or five point sort of here's or or maybe just one really important critical sort of. Uh, don't forget this when talking to students about about social media. I think the primary thing is that scared straight doesn't work. 
And so we have a tendency, particularly in a culture that's reactionary, um, to want to scare people and tell people horrible stories of a child who was kidnapped or a girl who was sold into prostitution because she posted on, yeah. you know, Craigslist or Backpage or Snapchat or whatever. None of that works. Instead, what works is to tell kids how to use social media in a way that's healthy for them, that's not going to get them in trouble, uh, so that, you know, I, I kind of look at it as a lot of that has to do with retreatism. Like, a lot of people who are out talking to teenagers about social media just say, don't use it. Uh-huh. That's their best advice. I'm saying that's terrible advice. They are using it. They're right. going to use it. Instead of scaring them, give If them you th- do it, here's what'll happen. Right. You're not going to get into college. You're going to lose your soccer scholarship yeah. or whatever. All that scary stuff. That doesn't... No teenager cares about that because mm-hmm. they're... That's just core to who teenagers are. They don't yeah. think that's going to happen to them. Right. Instead, try to backfill that with... Hey, here's some good principles for stuff. Yeah. Where you access the internet leads to what you look at. So if you're accessing that, if you're looking at, uh, if you're texting your girlfriend in your bedroom, that's going to lead to you texting inappropriate things over time. Maybe not the first day, yeah. but the twentieth day, so on and so forth. Yeah, yeah. You start teaching those kinds of principles that we that we that's what I talk about, and you're actually helping people versus just scaring them. Yeah. Scaring them gets you paid. I would make a thousand. $10,000 more if I went to high schools and just scared the crap out of teenagers. But I'm not going to do that. That's not helpful to them. Yeah. I'd rather talk to those 20 schools a year that are interested in actually helping their students as opposed to scaring them. So if you're, I know a lot of youth workers or a lot of people who work with teenagers get asked, particularly if they're under 30, <laughs> they're automatically seen as experts in social media. That would be my only, only advice is don't try to scare anybody, just to give them information. Like, we teach them how this is how social media actually works. So when you say something disappears, no, there's a database that's out there. It doesn't disappear. So on and so forth. Things yeah, like yeah. that really, really do help as opposed So you're giving them the information they need to make good good decisions. I'm going to I'm, I'm gonna holler for Jackson and, and hope, in hopes that he'll come in here and I can <laughs> give him a side hug I, I, or a hug. I do that at the end of these podcasts. Um, is there a final word of blessing for youth pastors that, for, from you? Jackson! <laughs> we'll text mom too. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you have a final word for the youth ministers listening to the, this podcast? Um, yeah, I do. Um, I mean, I guess it's twofold. First of all, don't be afraid of trying something new. I think a lot of people are worried that... So a lot of times what happens is you, you work for a boss who was a youth pastor in the 90s, right? That's a lot of the mm-hmm. case. And so they're worried that they're... If they don't do youth group like their boss did in the 90s, mm-hmm. then they're going to get canned. You need to have those hard conversations, either in pre-employment or just just the facts. Lay out, hey, here's here's the demographics. There's 6,000 kids in our community and 82 come to our youth group. What can we do differently? Because you have that shared value to your senior pastor. You want to reach more people with the gospel. So be encouraged to try new things. The second one, I think, and this just comes from my own background and my own teaching in youth, in youth ministry, the lessons that matter, the lessons that stick with kids for 10 or 15 years, come from the Bible. I find way too few youth workers teach the Bible. I know that sounds old school. That makes me seem like a 39-year-old youth worker that I am. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's great. But the simple reality is, is your job as a youth pastor is to teach the Bible. You're not there to teach topics. You're not a sex ed teacher. You're not a relationship coach. You're not so on and on. What yeah, you are yeah, is a yeah. Bible teacher. That's teach great. the freaking Bible. So, I mean, I want to implore and encourage people. Don't be ashamed of that. And sometimes you go to conferences and it doesn't feel like that's popular. But it is. It's always popular with God to teach his word. That's awesome. So 
Teach, you know, try new things. Try Don't new be things. afraid to try new things and teach the freaking Bible. Teach the freaking Bible. You can quote me on that. <laughs> Adam, thank you. Hey, Jackson, I'm going to start some, like, goodbye music. Can we do a hug? I love to do a hug. Is that okay? Can you have a hug? I, I, give me give me a hug here real quick. Yes. Oh, I'm so, so thankful for the opportunity to be in your home. Uh, Jackson, thank you for inviting me over. Say hi. Yes. Do you have a final word for youth ministers? What do you want to say? What do you want to tell people? You can, you can just say goodbye. Goodbye. That's good. That's good. Adam, thank you so much. My, my side hug. That's sound. right. Really appreciate you. Um, and when, when this is all over with, I'm, 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 I'm probably going to give you a full, full on hug. Awesome. Um, and maybe lunch somewhere? Yeah, let's do it. You got a place picked yeah, up? All right. We'll see you next time on the Digital Side Hug.